Commander, we're pinned down by enemy forces. They're flanking us on every side. We need reinforcements, stat. They need to be willing to do anything for our Lord. They need to be willing to be... Radical Christians. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to go to the other side of life, to go into the afterlife, and to maybe come back with information? Then maybe you should stay tuned. Welcome back Radical Christians and Daily Renegade members. Today we're going to do our first Radical Christian interview. We're going to interview Brian Melvin. Now he has a, a channel on the Daily Renegade platform and he actually had a near-death experience where he went and saw hell. And he brought back some information and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to uncover layers of the kingdom of darkness. And in true Radical Christian fashion, this isn't just going to be an interview. There's going to be tons of interesting, crazy pictures involved. So that'll be awesome. And then for our paid content, we're going to show you what we talked about after our interview, where we go into more depth in some other areas. So without further ado, introducing Brian Melvin. All right. Welcome, Radical Christians. This is our first interview with Brian Melvin, one of our Daily Renegade brothers. And we're going to talk about the kingdom of darkness today. So, Brian, how are you doing today? We're doing fine, Drew. How, how are you where are you where are you from, Drew? Anyway, I'm just wondering. Well, I'm originally from California, but then God called me and my wife out to Missouri, so we're out here oh. in Missouri. Oh wow, <laughs> I'm stuck yeah. in Colorado for a while. <laughs> <laughs> hey, better than California, though. Yeah, any places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have an interesting story. You actually had an after-death experience where you saw hell. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's correct. Yes, I did that interview with Josh Peck, finished up the Afterlife series and starting on spiritual warfare because it seems like we're entering a time when we will be entering into that realm where we need to be spiritual warriors. I completely agree. So, because uh, I'm familiar with your story and, and I, I have your book, actually, I haven't gotten through the whole thing yet, but um, what, one thing I wanted to know was how much insight did you get into the the hierarchy and the kingdom of darkness from actually going there? And, and and if anybody wants to know the whole story, they could watch your testimony on Daily Renegade. But basically, what did you learn from from going to hell? Well, the main thing is to learn to trust Jesus. <laughs> That's <laughs> the most, most important thing, because you know I don't deserve to come back. And that was that leaves a good impression upon you. But a lot of what happened I didn't understand at the time. It wasn't until I got back and it was ingrained in me. So I started looking it up, things in the Bible. And then the Bible describes everything I saw. And there's one place that really started me on spiritual warfare right away, just because how God did it with me. Simply put, when I was in hell, we were walking along and I saw what looked like telephone poles extending out and I could see in the spirit, so to speak. At the time, I didn't understand all, all of what I was seeing. But and extended out, and these poles had these big, huge entities up there, and they were singing. They were actually humming songs, like dirges, and were getting what I call people to dance to the tunes. And they were great, big, huge, ugly-looking things, and some of them looked pretty nice. You know, it's really strange to try to comprehend everything. But the one that I remember the most that was near a pole I was looking up, I looked like a typical demon. I just nicknamed him the Blast, the Red Blast, because that's what these creatures called him. And these poles, and they would hum these tunes out over the earth because they extended out over the earth in geographic locations. These entities would crawl up and scramble on out 
looked like portals. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. And they were released into an area to wreak havoc and create chaos and then bring as many people back down in there as they could capture into hell at a later on. So that's what these entities were doing. And then years, a few years later, after I was in a church, and I heard a pastor talk about spiritual warfare, and he read Ephesians chapter 6.10, and I go, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and in the heavenly places, and the host of wickedness in heavenly places, and I'm going... It's just like the light bulb went on. That's exactly what I saw. So there was another Bible verse that was right there. It showed me. So I started reading stuff on the subject back in the 1980s when I was a little younger. And so people like people like Derek Prince and um, mm-hmm. Leonard Ravenhill. I'm trying to think of a few others that were on. Um, There's a lot of other people. I can't remember everybody's name. But I read on all these things about it. And they were describing exactly what I saw. But I saw... The imagery that I saw matches what they were teaching on, matches what's in the scripture, and I began to get insight in it because immediately I was thrown into the fray of spiritual warfare as a Christian. I didn't have time to pass go. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thankful that I was in a church that actually taught the stuff, and I'm really disappointed how many, how few churches today teach this. So there's a lot of people who need to hear it, and they don't know what they're up against, and so... Um, that's how I kind of got in it, Drew. Okay. So when you saw these things on those poles, would you, would you say they were assigned to a region, or, or do you think they were assigned to a certain sin, or what, what would you think those ones were? Uh, they were the principalities in the Ephesians oh, list. Wow. They, were, they were the head honchos. They have a hierarchy. They have second commands, third commands. It's like a military chain of command. And that's exactly what I saw. It was more of a, it reminded me of a very well-trained military organization and very skilled in what they were doing and no no doubt about it. Um, Some people think that these entities are always fighting each other, but uh, since I worked in community corrections and know how inmates work, you know, they um, always give that impression sometimes that they are, but they're really not. They're, if they're getting ready to do something, they're all in it together. So these, all these were all in it together for basically to overthrow God, basically. Okay, so I, I have a question for you. When you think of these spirits being the spirits of the Nephilim and you think of them being creatures that were on this earth, what I wondered is, you hear about all these different appearances of what they look like in their demon forms. Is that, do you think that's what they looked like when they were on the earth? Or do you think they're spirits of other creations that the watchers made? Where, what do you have to speak on that? Okay, what I found was interesting. It's in Ezekiel chapter 28. just gives you a, a hint. Um, and it says, speaking of Satan, that uh, God made him ashes upon the earth. So he changed their appearance. Oh, wow. And that's what, and they were not, there were some of them, they give the illusion of being really nice looking, but if you get close to them, um, they're pretty ugly. But these were the head principalities, and then their second commands over geographic locations and different parts of the earth. And they were just controlling and conjuring, and they also send reinforcements to each other. It's kind of hard to explain, and I wish I had a way to draw it <laughs> out so uh-huh. people could see it, but it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but just the Bible says it better. They're principalities, they're in the second heavens, they call on reinforcements, they go out, and they do a task. And that's exactly okay. what I saw. I wrote in my book, I called one of them, there was an entity that was about... Uh, eating out people's conscience through sexual sins. And, oh, uh, man. Could you tell if they would attack believers and non-believers alike? or if They attack both. They like to attack believers, especially when believers don't know how to fight. 
Oh, okay. What to do. They really do. They, they love to pick on Christians. They go to war with Christians. I've been in uh, grocery stores or st- different stores, and I can just be sitting there, and somebody will come up, and they get near me, and they start growling, and I'm <laughs> wow. And I have to go, oh, I'm going to manifest. I'm in the store. I think I'm just going to have to leave. <laughs> I don't want to create yeah. a scene here. It happened more than once. I mean, I've been on the reservation. I've been to other places at meetings. Um, even when I did a jail ministry, we had a, a guy, to give you an idea how these work, was influencing this guy. He got out of ADSEG, mm-hmm. which is high security, came down to the to the Bible study or the meeting I was having in the jail because I ran a jail ministry for 10 years. And he was sitting on the front row, and my friend, we just got done with doing our music, and he sat down, and my friend was near him about two chairs over, and he started, his eyes rolled back in the head, and he's growling. And so my friend David was ready to do, ready, we were ready to go for it, you know, if he got up or we know what to do, we, can, we have authority over that, we've encountered it before. But all of a sudden, all the deputies came down there and told everybody to stop. They got this guy. He didn't know how he escaped, how he got out of that section. They don't know. They have no idea how he got out. Then they dragged him up there. Wow. That's egg. <laughs> so we didn't have to cast anything out of this guy. But it was, we were ready. But yeah, so it's just a matter of, if they know who you are, it's like what they said to the sons of Sceva. Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. But you don't, we don't know you. <laughs> Yeah, so, that's a good, so. that's a very good verse for that. Cause they knew right away who was a counterfeit and who was an actual, uh, had a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. It's the most important thing to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. I know one of their, one of the things that they like to do, well, deception and seduction are two of the major tools of the enemy. So when you, when you saw the appearance of these things, could you tell that there was a, a seductive type quality or that they, they had that ability? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a place that I was, I talked about, and to Josh, I think in his interview, I talked about it before in my own videos here that I did for him, is there was a certain area, and I wrote about it in a book, and we were walking in this area, and I caught the dark corridor, and there was like green dilapidated grapes, drapes hanging down, and it really things like a corridor, and people being escorted into these cubes, and we're walking along, we got, I don't know, I would maybe, I'm trying to think of the distance, Hey, 300 yards from an apex or an entryway where people were coming in and these big tall entities there. Those were probably some of the, the fallen watchers wherever wow. this place was because they were chained, but they were big, they were tall, and they were not very nice looking, but they had such a seductive quality. And I, I mentioned it several times, it's almost a sexual type of quality. Wow. But it's a seduction. It was like very nice and sickly sweet, but somebody with a knife behind their back ready to, you know, to stab you in the back or gut you without you even knowing it. I mean, these, the, that's how mean they were. And they knew everything about the human psyche. They knew wow. exactly how to manipulate. They knew everything to the, what buttons to push, what, what things they could do. And I always thought, you know, in my mind, if these things ever got loose back on earth, boy, I don't know if people will have a chance. And then I end up reading in the book of Enoch. You know, I know Enoch's not scripture, but they're after 70 generations. I got mm-hmm. this go down on my notes here. Enoch, I can't remember what ver- chapter it is. It says, we'll bind them for 70 generations underneath the rocks of the ground until their judgment and their consummation until the eternal judgment is concluded. So whenever that 70 generations is up, they're coming back. <laughs> yeah. And that is, I think that's, that's going to be, I don't want to be around. 
Yeah, I tried to do the math on that for the video I'm actually making for this week, and I had to stop. I, I was, I'm not the best with math, but I was trying to figure out when the seventy gener- generations would have ended if if it was around Enoch's time. But you know, who knows? And with the big boom in technology that we've had in the last like two hundred years, you know, who knows if that's from other ones that are influencing when those big entities you passed that you you thought maybe could have been the Watchers. What did they look like to you? Well, the ones that I remember the most, I mean, they were sitting down, like lounging, and, and they were like, I don't see my hand, they'd go right or left to the people, and then they would direct the people. Wow. And couple, there were like three or three of, them, three of them there. They looked kind of bored. They were just sitting there, and if they stood up, they would have been a little, some of them would be the size of a goalpost. Some would be a little bit larger than a goalpost on a football field. I'm talking about 300 yards away. That's it. And where they were sitting, their heads were either right around near the bottom of the goalpost or in the middle of it. So if they stood up, they would be pretty tall. And that's, um, it's kind of at that distance, it's hard to get all the details that I can remember, but they were, they didn't, if you read the, the scriptures or you read the Bible, like in a book of Ezekiel, they had several faces, three or four faces on them. Some of them probably had four, but I couldn't see from the direction and different types of faces they were just rather interesting did, when they had different faces did it, did it look like there was faces on the sides of their head or did it just look like something you couldn't explain how well, did that look yeah first you can't really explain it one some of them looked like there were separate faces on either side of the head going all the way around others the faces would rotate this that makes no sense i wrote about in a book it would go around in a circle and as it goes around you would see another face appear oh. And it just goes around and around, and it was really creepy looking. Wow. So, what were some of the lower level beings you came across, and and how did and how did you tell that they were lesser in power if you were able to? Well, every the they were different sizes. The smaller okay. ones had uh, were more smaller ones than the larger ones, and the larger ones had more power. So the taller the taller they were, they had more power, and the shorter they were, they had a little less. And so it sort of again like a military hierarchy. Now Our I remember, rank was by by size. Okay, and do you did you see any that you knew were bound to a, a certain type of sin, or, or their job was to influence that type of sin? Uh, the ones on the post up when I saw on the telephone pole, I call them telephone poles. Yes. Some of them were. Some of them were in charge of those and other ones giving out orders to do things to particular sins. Like I said, one had uh, more of a sexual type of sins and stuff, different types. Okay. So let's get into some of the backstory with these things or, or some of the deific masks they would, have, they would have worn throughout time. So first of all, what is a deific mask? Okay, let me kind of back up so I could try to get some people on some on some, on the same track on this because some people haven't heard this. Yeah. But I always want to give a you know shout out to Gary Wayne and you know Chuck Missler, of course. I grew up with Chuck Missler listening to him, but um, I always was kind of hesitant because I always felt the Lord says you need to read some some occult literature to find out what the stuff is, what you're up against especially on the reservations, I was always hesitant. And then I read Gary Wayne's uh, research, and I go, wow, he did it. So I went on script D and looked up this stuff, and I went, oh, my. Boy, did I get an education right quick. 
And um, so I will share a little bit about that just here. So basically, I'll just go real quickly. I'm going to use the Mesopotamian pantheon, and there are um, there are seven who decree. That I call them fallen angels. You have Anu, you have Ninharsag, Enlil, Enki, Nana, Ishtar, and Shamash. I call these are the top five star generals of a military hierarchy, and they have different roles. And underneath them, they have male and female counterpart, Ninharsag, and then of course you have Ayana or Ishtar, the female aspect. But they also Enlil had Ninlil as his second in command and so forth, etc. They had that. So this is very important first, is that there's no male or female. These things don't mm-hmm. have that type of workings. And the male symbolizes the top general, and the second command is represented as the, in a female role in, in command. In fact, I always, you know, the Lord told me a long time ago to pay attention to signs, symbols, names, and meanings, just look at everything. And so I look at the Hebrew root uh, of the Hebrew language. The Hebrew root has pictographs, and they have pictograph for their letters, and the uh, letters translated father and mother help kind of in a really interesting way give you insight to how these things work well father is abba it means strong one of the house house or over the house is basically over the house i mean he's the house is mentioned twice because there's two b's as alf what's one it means the strong one b is bet which is uh means the house or the strong one of the house the one who divides the house and creates order over it and mother is em it's m <laughs> E-M, that's how you mm. pronounce it. And it means the other strong one who controls and manages chaos. Wow. And so you get the idea. So you have Anu and Ninharsag. You have one, I manage the chaos. The other's in charge. And the other person, the other entity manages the chaos. And so I always, so to order, understand what a deific mask is, uh, each one of these entities uh, have masks. And so when you study these things, I mean, they go by so many different names like Ishtar, Ayana, um, Diana, Artemis. I mean, they're, they're an Aphrodite. They're all the same being. And then I did my Old God series, and I touched on some of this out of the book of um, Revelations, of chapter 2 and 3 on the seven churches. And I was watching uh, Derek and Sharon Gilbert on their Skywatch TV Revelation series. I think it was on Smyrna. They were talking, and she kept mentioning, uh, that's Artemis or whatever. It had another finger puppet. I'm going, finger puppets are more than finger puppets, because this is what the occult calls them. Um, For example, the city of Ephesus, patron deity was originally Artemis. And a temple was built built there for her. But by the time of Paul, as the book of Acts talks about in Acts chapter 19, verse 24, so forth, etc., mentions the temple was to Diana. So the Artemis mask is devoted to uh, to do something. So what exactly is a deific mask? Um, okay, a deific mask, this is out of some occult literature because they used to call, in, a long time ago, these as veils mm-hmm. put on people. Or whatever, a deific mask is a symbol or arch- archetype for the god or goddess or demon. It's their power, their energy. It's uh, it's a single attribute that a worshiper absorbs into themselves as an occult person, or they release into a geographic location, the whatever that it is that they want. Um, so that's what a deific mask is in a basically nutshell. 
So would that be like if if a principality wants to influence an area towards a sexual sin, they would take on the the personage of a deity that is sexualized and that specializes in that area? Uh, yeah, right. That's exactly right. So I, I wrote a, my own de definition out of a deific mask. It's a specific individual representation of a god or goddess's power energy, which consists of specific individual aspects of their character trait that are released and absorbed, absorbed into an area or into a worshiping occultist themselves. And think of Aleister Crowley. He had lamb. He channeled lamb. That is a he wore a deific mask of lamb to channel. And so what these people were doing in the Temple of Artemis are what they were actually doing, they were releasing something. So Artemis' mask was devoted to release the individual huntress aspect of Iana or Ishtar into an area. And it was usually invoked to take care of some sort of threat, either political or business or trade or religious, in order to gain dominance. And once that was uh, occurred and it was an area was secure, uh, then the temple was dedicated to Diana, who was Diana, a.k.a. Ishtar or Azeroth. It was the same entity. Mm -hmm. It's the same entity. But the deific mask, basically what I call, what I've come to realize, these are military commanders who are conjured by the occultist or the people in those temples to enter into an area. So it would be the aspect of Artemis to hunt the souls of men and bring them in and bring them in into dominance and so the priestess or priest would invoke that specific power into an area another one that you were talking about is aphrodite and if you want it to weaken an enemy or weaken a culture to accept <laughs> diana's or let's call it big jezebel's control i mean just a jezebel type spirit control you seduce them with aphrodite so you bring in all the seductive qualities sent to seduce and create sexual chaos. They're all about creating chaos and all manner of sexual perversion, a lot of gender bending, you'll see that, especially in a lot of the triple goddess worship when you study it out. The triple goddess worship, as far as I can discern, would be Ninharsag, would be the, the old crone or the grandmother. Then you have, It's either Ninlil or Ningal. I can't read. I'm leaning toward Ninlil. Uh, Enlil, second in command, would be the mother, because she was called the mother of the gods. And you have the young warrior princess, which was Ishtar. So you have mm -hmm. the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter, and the triple goddess, and all aspects of that. You know, So they all involve gender bending. They all involve uh, male castration, uh, all kinds of blood rites. I won't get into that. I don't want to make everybody sick. <laughs> what, they, what they do, but they, they all gear toward releasing demonic hordes into an area. I call them divisions or brigades loosed. And one or two of these entities can cover a large territory, you know, and then wow. they bring up all these little ones like I, like I could see coming, climbing up out of those poles, different sizes, and escaping to do that task to capture people, seduce them. So you're saying that the pole, that that was the portal? Some sort was of a portal. portal device? Yeah, so later on, years later, I got introduced to portals. And, um, okay. And so it's not by choice. I wasn't looking for it. I was on, so especially on the reservation, we go to some of the medicine ground and stuff. And I noticed that some areas, when we take some people there and who haven't been to reservations, I take them to the original medicine ground with a couple of friends just to see if we don't say nothing. 
And they say, man, I got a headache. I feel sick. I'm scared to death. What's going on? Mm-hmm. I go, you just entered Demon Central. We kind of, It's kind of a polite way to haze somebody. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but we, we tell them, we pray for them, and it, you know, it goes away. If they can't handle it, we'll leave. But we want to say this is stuff is real. That is a portal area. They, they conjure stuff. They do their rites. And it's like a territory. And that's in the spirit realm. That's what, that's what cultists do. And their circles, and they they open up these portals for these things to come out to assist them. So, is there are there spots that are specifically designated for portals, or are there? Are, can you open it based on what sin you do, or, or you know what ritual you do in an area? I think all three. Oh the wow! First, I mean, there's major ones like I seen on the reservation. They can be closed, but these people will open new ones. Wow. And the the people who practice the occult will open up areas, and they can open up in their own home, small ones, large ones, whatever. They know what they're doing. They actually do, according to their literature, they know more about this stuff than we do. Nothing to be afraid of, because we have power in Jesus, but just, I mean, if you don't know what's going on, you can't feel, you don't really know what's happening to you. I mean, this this stuff is real. Yeah, so w- on the reservations, have you heard stuff about uh, skinwalkers? Yeah, yep, I've heard quite a bit about skinwalkers. Uh, also, shadow people, our slender man, they call him our, uh, we, we call it owl woman, but um, they, call oh, it wow. tall, they call it tall man. I've encountered these things quite a bit up there, and I found out they're all over the place. And I'll just talk about shadow people for a second, our, okay. our tall man. These are actually conjured out of these pits, and they walk. And at night, when you're driving along on the res there, and I'm looking around, and I can see, you know, shapes, actually dark shapes, and they can, you can feel their presence. I just rebuke it and just start singing Jesus and singing praise, and they just take off. And they're usually actually very small. I'd say small little, I call them triangle and square shapes, but they give the illusion of people, or tall people. And they're basically sent on a task to kill. And so on in a town up there, and I was working, we just started in a town in South Dakota. We just started ministering up there, and I was talking to a good friend of mine. He's recently uh, passed away a few years ago. But um, since I worked with Sheriff's Department, he was also in the uh, state patrol. He retired from that, and he was working up there on the reservation with the people. So we, we know some of the sheriffs and um, some of the, you know, native police up there and so they have on video uh an ambulance call where the ambulance door slammed shut and a girl was getting attacked and bitten they could see it but they couldn't get inside of the the car and so you know she was pretty tore up uh another time they saw a tall man and they actually chased it down the street and then they stopped at the edge of town it's not a big town and they and they pulled off side of the road they looked at each other what are we going to do if we catch it <laughs> And um, so you have, you know, actual police reports, but people, you know, they keep quiet about it because, you know, people don't want to realize how real this stuff is. Now we have here where I live, or it doesn't matter where you live, these things are just are there too because you have a lot of kids, they see Slender Man, or they see the, see the thing. And what usually happens, I had them come in and try to attack me a couple of times, and I'll describe the attack. They'll come into the room and you feel, I call icy cold fingers of fear. And sometimes it might be accompanied by sleep paralysis. It's it's really intense fear. And then you really think of suicide or think of death or whatever. You don't want to live. And there's no, and there's all kinds of thoughts in there. 
But when I feel that icy cold fear, I get up and I say, in the name of Jesus, you get out of here. The Lord God gives his beloved sleep and you get out of here in the name of Jesus. I'm going to sleep. I usually go to sleep and sleep pretty good. Mm. But, you know, you just know your authority. And if you know Jesus and you have a relationship, they'll leave. They'll just leave. And a lot of people don't know that. And so I've been encountering for many, many years, 30-some years with kids who see these things and are attacked by these things. And now the new name is Slenderman. Mm-hmm. So it's just these entities being released to capture people to basically make their life miserable, to kill us. So when it comes to sleep paralysis, do you think that that is a specific group of them that, that does sleep paralysis? Or do you think that they can all do that? Who do you think are the ones that affect I think, that? I think, in my personal opinion, I think there's a group of them that specifically does that. But it's a large, probably a, a div, couple of divisions maybe or maybe a whole army full of them somewhere and they can go worldwide. Some people think that one demon attacks one person at a time. No, one of these, you know, they have demonic fallen Nephilim spirits and then the fallen angels. So they can control a lot of these things that are all in um, cahoots to do this. And so, yeah, there could be a whole division, a whole army full of these released worldwide. A few of them could be affecting maybe an entire, you know, community. I mean, some people don't realize it's not just one little demon sitting on your shoulder talking to you. He could be talking to other people. You gotta, um, Ahab was deceived, you know, was deceived by a seducing spirit. You know, the one spirit seduced 400 prophets of Baal. So mm-hmm. there you go. You know, they can, a lot of them can do a lot of damage. So if they come in particularly to attack somebody, they're probably sending some of their lower order ranks. The ones I've seen are small, but they look large. And I've seen horses, animals go nuts when these things approach. Wow. So animals sense these things. Do you think they can see them? Or just I don't know. Just and I have no, no, they, they see them or whatever. I know the dogs go crazy and they run off. And sometimes they just bark, growl, and they usually scamper out of there. The horses go start rearing and try to get out of, out of there. And they go, or they go around the, around the uh, corral just in circles, real frantic. Mm-hmm. Like restless? Yeah, very restless. So from your, all your experiences in this realm, what have you seen in pop culture or what have you read? First, I'll ask you, what have you seen in pop culture that you, you recognize? You're like, that's, that's a demon. That, that's a direct depiction of something I've seen. The only things I could say would become close would be the Lord of the Rings with the orcs and the orakai. Oh, wow. Close. Clo- not, it's close, but no cigar kind of thing, okay. but it's close. Because the only difference is that they're, you know, they're like Gollum. They're very agile mm-hmm. and almost spider-like. They can go up walls and stuff. It's incredible, you know, and that's kind of what they're reminding me of. Others remind me of ancient pagan deities. The more I study them, I go, wow, you know, some of them look like that, you know, Alamaces. So oh, so like you've seen like the, the four-legged... Mm-hmm. so what does that look like with a human head and and the four legs how would you describe well that? The, the difference was to be the head wouldn't necessarily be human would be it would transfer to different oh, facial wow. features it's just Jeez. It's really <laughs> and one minute they look really nice and next minute they show you what they are and it's like uh, and and others you know are insect like you know others i i call my book look like some of the demons or look like rotting vegetables but that's just what i saw i mean I've often wondered with with the watchers sinning against like all of creation, if they sinned against trees too and made some sort of perverted version of trees and perverted versions of, you know, other life. It's quite possible, to tell you the truth. It is possible. Uh, the Lord destroyed 
all, everything in the flood. And we, um, one of the evidence of the watchers, I always, just my personal opinion and research, is that one of the evidence of them coming back will be an increased knowledge in genetics mm. and CRISPR technology and mixing species, species one with another. And we're seeing that. I read that in the book of Jasher where they mix yep. species one with another. And I'm seeing that today. Where does technology come from? Who's being inspired? And you find out that a lot of these top scientists and some of these other folks that are involved, they're involved in the occult and to channeling spirits. So when these things start coming back after the 70 generations, this type of knowledge will be more prevalent. And you don't think that the 70 generations is up yet? I think it might be a progressive 70 generations, depending on what they did. The last, the final four <laughs> who mm. decree, it would um, would be Nin Harasag, Enlil, Inki, and uh, Samesh, you know, the sun deity. They would be the the final four released, in t <laughs> but the rest uh, will probably be released just before that in progression, because... That's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking they are because you know, mm -hmm. there's some evidence for it that I, it's speculative, but you know, I, I'm not afraid of speculation. I'm not afraid of um, saying things, you know, controversial, but you know, I never heard of these things, but other people have these trumpet sounds all mm -hmm. over the world. And I listen to them on YouTube and you go, what in the world is that? What's causing that? Nobody really knows. Well, when a deity comes in and coming into an area and coming into town, they blow trumpets. Wow. <laughs> and so I noticed how dark this world's getting and how much more chaos is. And this is not just one, two countries. This is worldwide phenomena. It's just building, and I can feel it. I'm beginning to feel some of the presences I felt in hell, which was that seductive quality as well. As I kind of feel this stuff coming back and influencing people and whole areas. And I'm seeing people going into insane rages against goodness, and they just want to destroy it. Oh, yeah, like those abortion doctors, that they confront them, and, and they say, like, yeah, I do kill babies, and they, they get really intense. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah, like, man, that's a demon. That's a full that's a demon. demon. That's a full manifest demon in those guys. Yeah. And that's what happens. That's, that's what they do. I mean, you can tell that's what these watchers do. They seduce. They get enter in. They manipulate the people to act according to their mass that they're putting on them, these veils. And so do you think with a watcher, they would influence basically only influence people of power or do you think they they influence more big picture stuff what do you think a wa a watcher a super high ranking entity would would be in charge of is it, is it, are those the principalities like you mentioned yeah the principalities we interested in elites and leadership first and everybody else second so every, they'll cover everybody but they will they will take a personal interest in the elites and governing abilities, uh, people in society, scientists, whatever, to network with and to influence. And then they'll send their other minions out to carry out the task to everybody wow. else. It's sort of a hierarchy thing. Okay. They cover everybody, but they, they have it. They're very organized. And then for the, because I know there's principalities and then the powers, the, the Cosmocrater, mm -hmm. do, you, do, you, do you know what those would be likened to or how you would describe those? Well, in my, like I said in the old God theory, series, I say the five-star generals, you know, they're the, the seven who decree, the, their second-in-commands, and third-in-commands would be the, that, that group, what you just mentioned. Okay, the powers. The powers, the, yeah. And then you have the other ones that are a few other commanders, and the, the host of wickedness in the heavenly places would be, you know, all your colonels on down probably to sergeants. <laughs> 
Wow. So back to the topic of research, whose research have you read over the years that when you read it, it was that same feeling that I asked about pop culture where you, where you read their research and you're like, oh, this is 100% spot on. I'm sure there's many, but was there any one that stood out to you? First was would be Chuck Missler because mm. he started talking about watchers and all this stuff and i'm going yeah this is pretty this is interesting because you know what he was saying about the watchers and who they were and no one else was talking about it at the time and of course you know Derek prince and and the deliverance stuff that he was involved in uh they they talked about this and other people talked about it and i could see the influence of these things on what you call pop culture mm -hmm. um, we always think our pop culture doesn't change it always remains pop you know <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's just how it is and so yeah it influences culture there's a big thing they do it's like the hierarchies will, will do everything to influence culture to get the, the people in mass to follow them if you look at pop culture just look at let's look at miley cyrus okay and um start out as hannah montana <laughs> mm -hmm. and then she graduated to whatever she turned into and it's not good you know taylor swift is another one uh, you know they started out okay it looked like they're all sweet and innocent but then they get this stuff and it's like something has taken taken over them and so they influence everybody else with those videos it's it's just they're just doing the bidding of the mm -hmm. creatures it's all they're doing trying to get the, the ultimate thing is and i talked about it extensively when i teach and go preach and conferences and stuff on spiritual warfare the goal of the enemy is to pit god's character traits and standards against each other in order that he could be overthrown they would thus make their throne above god's if they can get god to con go contrary to himself so in genesis chapter one and two god gave humanity dominion and authority and he gave them the ability to guard and protect and tend and keep and you know you know your family and everything like that and so if we get god say hey if you can just if we get god to destroy man before you know the messiah will come and crush the serpent's head you you know we just overthrew god because he could not keep his word he could not keep his promise because god can't deny himself you know he keeps his word he keeps his promises he can't fulfill it so he just contradicted himself but god doesn't contradict himself so they're trying to just find a loophole to undo their their punishment basically or to put themselves in power as well yeah both just reminds me of uh, community corrections it does it just reminds me of the the criminal justice system since I worked in there for so long and <laughs> basically what they're doing always looking to game always looking to exploit looking for an angle looking for a way to anything and they're crazy they're insane about it and you can tell how, how God probably put you in that corrections environment to give you a deeper understanding of this stuff that's oh, what yeah. it kind of feels like yeah he did and uh, how the whole thing came about I never expected it I just thought I just work in a jail and and work with uh violent i worked as a case manager also with violent offenders and sex offenders so i never you know i i got a i got an eyeful and an earful <laughs> wow and what i'm seeing today is greatly concerning because since i'm out of the field i'm no longer a member of the colorado state sex offender management board i can speak <laughs> but um if, you know, I was on a management team, and we would read the part of their therapy was to read their diaries, and some of their diaries they wish they could go into 
where maybe Sunday school or go into the library and read to young kids and start, you know, dressed up. Some of them like women, and they wow. would, you know, start exposing themselves or wearing weird garb. And I'm, so I'm sitting there going, man, you know, when I talk to some of the um, <laughs> head psychiatrists, you know, one of them mentioned to me, um, she says, I wish we could do exorcism. <laughs> I yeah. go, what? He says, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Have you ever mentioned it to the board? And he goes, yeah, they said it's a, it's a, it's a conflict with church and state. <laughs> wow. Because that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with real, it's, it's all, see these people groom, they're under, a, under being controlled by a spirit. And they, they are, they know how to work the system and groom people to get their support so they can pick out who they want to offend on. And they'll offend on a particular, you know, like blonde hair or black hair or boy or a girl or both, whatever. It's the same height, same color, same eyes. It's, it's usually what they target and they take a while. And while they're grooming for the assault, they're fantasizing about it and they're laying out their tactics of how they do it. It's really sick. And now this I'm watching. I'm, yeah, this is the person. And I'm okay. watching this stuff transpire right now. Oh. <laughs> So you're recognizing that. those patterns in just the everyday day life. Yeah, just like you said. Yeah, they're influencing culture. They're influencing stuff. You know, who would ever thought they would have these individuals going into churches reading like they did a Lutheran church and a Presbyterian church, uh, reading uh, these tra you know transgenders reading to uh, church groups or libraries, and they're yeah. targeting and all the people going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you go. You know, it's crazy. Uh, they, they're a lot of their outfits, they have horns on them and they, oh, they yeah. almost look like Baphomets. Um, what's, what's interesting you'll find out is a lot of the trans and I'll get in trouble and I hope we don't get Josh in trouble here, but, um, <laughs> a lot of them are part of covens and they are practicing occultist because that's one of the traits these things do. Uh, if you look up the triple goddess worship, it doesn't matter which one it is, which one of the triple goddess, but they all are into gender flipping, and they would find young boys, and they would castrate them so they'd be and dress them as women for their rituals. Wow. <laughs> it's really sick stuff, you know. I think Derek Gilbert knows probably what I know on this. It's really, you know, it's, it's not, not, I'm not going to say everything they would do, but it's really sick with the blood rituals thrown in. I wanted to ask you also, since you're seeing it getting worse and worse, I mean, I, I personally, um, along with many others, feel like it, we're, we're right about at the end. I always kind of felt that way, but then I thought, oh, you know what? I could see it, it taking a while to get worse. But when you, when you look at just five years ago, five or seven years ago, homosexuality and, and gay marriage was getting legalized. And I put a post on my Facebook saying pedophilia is next. And now, now where we're at in just that short window, pedophilia yeah. is right on the table. So yeah. how, how long do you think we have left is the first thing I want to ask you. And it, you're, obviously you're not held to this. It's just what, what are you, what, what's your discernment on that? Well, my discernment, we're at the threshold. So it could be any moment now that it's the, the trigger? Yeah. yeah, there's going to be a trigger. There's, there's a few things that will have to happen, you know. Um, you know but the full man, I did teach on well, the Omega Man radio show last Friday on this. Um, you know, one of the things to look for, you know, is the rise of the Antichrist, but there's a lot of Antichrist spirits. So the Antichrist spirits would be the yific mask of these entities going out preparing for the Antichrist to come. But the temple will have to be rebuilt before uh, the actual entrance into the tribulation. But just before there, just like Jesus says, it's going to get rough. It's going to get hot. It's going to get really bad. 
And so that's where we are. We're in the thresholds of entering into that stage where the whole world is going to go crazy. If you think the the Democratic Party, for example, is crazy, um, and right the now, Democratic Party basically yeah, the Democratic Party. Oh, you just think of them in power and more people being conjured and joining in, and you think, oh, Christians will never be persecuted or forced to wear gold stars or sent to concentration camps. Not in America. Way this could happen overnight. Mm-hmm. That's the type of stuff that these entities want to do and they manipulate people to do it and so we're at the threshold i'm seeing it. this is not just one country but this is every country in the world we're seeing this not just one country in america we saw it in europe and then america now canada now i mean it's like wow i mean i never thought i'd see it australia japan china you know the middle east every all aspects of the world has it so the influence with the end times coming, where do you stand with like if when you think we're getting taken out of here? Do you pre-trib, pre-wrath? What's your kind of where your research has led you? Okay, um, I only know one other person who who um, ever mentioned this, and I and I felt so alone for years because because <laughs> I believe in a partial tri- a partial rapture that'll happen just before we get check out of here, according to First Thessalonians there when Paul's talking. Our second Thessalonians, she's talking to him like, oh boy, you think you missed it? No, you haven't. The Antichrist has to come first, but it tells me we're right at a point, a boiling point is when it will happen, just before the tribulation happens. And it will be a partial rapture. I base that upon what Jesus said in Luke, I think 21 and 17, I think it's 21. One will be taken and another will be left. They're in the same field. Mm. They're at the same mill. There and, and the imagery is there and part of the same house even. Okay, so you're so saying that a, yeah. you're saying that most people see that as oh we he took his people out and the other people left in the field are, are not his people. But you're saying that is a those are all his people and he's taken some of them. He's taken some of them because that's because he did say pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things and stand before the Son of Man. So I so I wow. held for a long time that. Then I heard Perry Stone talk about a partial rapture. And I go, wow, he's the only other person I've ever heard of. That that you know, I came back when I came. You know, I had this view. I mean, probably if the first year I was a Christian. And um, another thing that will, you will note just before the time of the end, Revelation chapter two and seven. You know, everybody talks about dispensational periods, which they are. No problem with that. But it's also if you go to Peter, there's and also this. Uh, principle in the Bible where judgment always begins in the house of God first. Mm-hmm. And so Revelations chapter 2 and 3 is the state of the end time church in the end times. And there are seven groups of, or types of people. You know, there are different extremes. There's the moderates to uh, the extremist versions of the Ephesus type people or Thyatiran type people. And those are the people in the church. And so when you read that, they're all, you know, five of them have to repent. And if they don't repent, it don't bode well for them. You know, it really doesn't. And so that's a judgment coming into the house of God. So there will be a message to the churches that will go out to the people in the church telling them to get it together. This is where you have fallen. If you're Ephesus, you got into control and domination. You left your first love. In other words, you let Diana, the seductress aspect of that deific mass to come in there and seduce you away to accept her controlling people, you know, and... You know, these are very legalistic, controlling type of people. And then you have the Pergamum type who, there were Satan's throne was, and 
I don't have time to go into all the. Mm-hmm. I always just I always pick the top three. There's there's like five or six main temples there, but I pick the top three because it gives me an idea uh, of what you're dealing with. So Satan's uh, divine assembly meeting here, uh, and their whole thing is to corrupt the church to bring the occult works into the church. And I'm seeing that today. And I, I bring that up a lot in a lot of uh, messages I do. I'm really, I see that. And so these people need to repent from it. If they don't, they're going to be at the wrong end of the battle at the, in the tribulation period. They're going to be left behind and God's going to fight against them with the sword of his mouth. Come on, I know Jesus will fight them with the sword of his mouth. And then you have uh, Thyatira, which is Jezebel dominionism. It's just dominionism, the, the new, um, if you want to call it new apostolic reformation, the hardcore yeah. type. It's all about dominionism. And I tell, I tell you, I tell people, you know, Jesus himself was taken up to a high mountain and offered all the king, kingdoms of the world if you would worship Satan. And, and Jesus says, no, only you will worship the Lord your God. You know, he, Jesus already owns it all. Yeah. And so uh, it's not the church's responsibility to take everything over. That's a total deception. We're mm-hmm. to influence the masses of people. We influence all the people. If you imagine three or 8,000 people getting saved in one day, and this continues. Soon, most of the population will be Christian. All the people in the top ranks, we ask to make a buck so they won't push this stuff down people's throat anymore. And so, this dominion theology, you know, you see that in Thyatira, Sardis, I won't get into it. It's just a dead church. They denied Jesus coming back. They're very lukewarm, and they just totally don't believe in the scriptures. And there's other aspects, and they, they bring all kinds of weird culture into the church. So they're just basically dead. Then you have the Laodiceans, which everybody talks about, which is the actual word for lukewarm. If you did an etymology study, is uh, I get oh, a kick, wow. out, kick out of it is uh, tepid, algae-filled, polluted pond water, like the stuff I drank out of a cooler. <laughs> <laughs> so no wonder you vomit out of them out of your mouth. They make you sick. That's what God's Jeez. saying. And that's not a very good thing. I mean, there's uh-huh. no God can't find any refreshment in these people because they have rich and need of nothing. They don't, they don't need God, is what he's saying. They have all their toys, all their stuff. Yeah, so that's, what I, that's what I, I, I liken to like, um, people that say they're a good person. It's kind of mm-hmm. that same feel where it's like you go to talk to them about God, and they're like, oh, like, I'm a good person. And it's like they don't realize the need because, mm-hmm. because God's blessed them without having that much persecution. So they just don't realize the need for God. And it's just, those are sometimes the hardest people to talk to. They sure are. They sure are. And you see it, you see it, you know, um, they teach the same things. It's, uh, and it's just a whole class of people. You've seen someone on a lot of TV preachers in this area. And I'm seeing a whole crop of new theologians, not theologians, but pastors coming up online. And there's a lot of good ones out there. I'm not saying everyone's bad. But they have this mentality where the basically all five groups of those people, they have common themes that I'm seeing is one, they devalue the word of God. Mm. And it's all about personal experiences and acquiescing the world's culture and legitimizing it in the church. And so the Lord says, you got to overcome, you got to, you know, you, you can't let this happen. You know, you got to repent. And if you don't, it doesn't go well. The Sardis people, their names blotted out of the book of life. That's not cool. Jeez. And That's then, you know, you know, when you think about it, these are Christians. These are people in the church. So that's why it's one, one taken and one left. 
Wow. So uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is I, I watched your, your video about you approaching God. It, you know, you had your near-death experience and you were approaching God. And a couple of things that stood out to me that I'd like you to speak on, it was how you felt love going up to him and then that feeling switched. And then after that, I, I really wanted to ask you ever since I heard that about the hood and what it looked like that he wore and why he wore it. Okay, yeah, I'll, sure thing. Well, when I died, you know, I was an atheist, but as soon as I took my last breath and floated above my body, I wasn't an atheist anymore. <laughs> and so I went... That quick, you know, huh? Yeah, that quick. It didn't, you know, when you die, after you die, you're not you're not an atheist anymore. <laughs> and there's a testimony by A.J. Ayers, who died and had after-death experience, but floated in the same void, and he came, and he was approaching the governor of the universe, and he went back, he was resuscitated, and brought back to life. And why he remained an atheist, I don't know. <laughs> but, but when I was going through the through the, I went through a void, like I mentioned in my testimony, going toward a light. At that time, I knew nothing about any of this stuff. And I could hear all this heavenly music being sung to me, uh, proclaiming all the mysteries of the universe, so to speak. And had it's like the Lord speaking to me, too. At the time, I couldn't quite tell who, I know who it is now, in hindsight, but speaking to me. And so I felt this great compassion and love because they were explaining to me God's character. And their glorifying character is, um, you know, a lot of it's, well, most of it's in the Bible. Some of it's not, and you can't really utter it <laughs> or speak it because you can't. Um, it's just too much. And so they were just singing this, and you feel this great love and compassion. And it's like, wow, you know, this is cool. You know, maybe they were right. Maybe uh, uh, this, you know, I got heaven after all, even though I didn't believe, you know. <laughs> oh, man. I was thinking, you know, you just think of these things and then you have little clips of your mind. Uh, you can see incidences in your past. Just, It's hard to, I talk about timeless time and, I mean, a few milliseconds, you know, an entire half your life could be exposed to you, everything, and just, and all of a sudden it zips back and you where you're at. And so I could see things like driving down to Charlestown, West Virginia with my sister and I just opened a beer up. <laughs> And I think, what was I drinking? Pabst Blue Ribbon at the time, I think. You know, and then I set it in, I was driving my 65 Dodge van with a shift kit in it and all this stuff. And hit a patch of uh, oil and did three 360s on a two-lane highway with oncoming traffic. And a cliff on the other side of the Shenandoah River down there. Somehow the van stayed on the road and the front went in reverse. And the back wheel was just a few inches from going off the edge. Wow. And I got out and, I, and you know, and people asked we were all right. And this is, you know, this is a different time, Drew, back then. So what the guy did, one of the guys says, he gave me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so you need this and so i was shaken up but the lord showed me that incident and how he sent angels there and kept that going off the cliff he showed me several other incidences where car near car crashes i had being drunk or stoned or whatever i was on mm -hmm. with a car full of my friends and my dad's station wagon one on gallows road in virginia went over a hill and was heading toward a airborne thinking i was a dukes of hazard <laughs> i was just drunk and we're heading toward this tree 300 year old uh, oak tree and there's a slight turn in the road and the car literally moved over it landed and bumped a little bit and then went down the hill at a fast rate and slowed down don't know how it slowed down slowed down then i regained control and you know everybody was slapping me on the back you're a great driver i said no i don't know how i missed that tree well the lord showed me again he spared my life he spared the life of all those kids 
So he kept showing me his love and how he always was there chasing, you know, just trying to get my attention, always knocking on my door, always speaking to me in dreams or whatever. And I would ignore them and just pass them off. He showed me all this, how loving he was. And that's what I was feeling was the love and compassion. Then when I got to the Lord and I saw who it was and I stood before him and I fell down and I was picked up and I stood before him. And that's when I realized something. And, the, and so, so Jesus was wearing a hood. He asked about the hood real quickly. Um, I don't know why the hood was there, but I would imagine if he took off his hood, I would have seen this, the full manifestation of God's triune nature just in one blast. That's my impression. So he kept it. It was like a hood of judgment. And so I, I talked about this in one of my testimonies I've given. I think that's on YouTube there. Mm -hmm. I spoke at a mega church. <laughs> and um, that's where I saw it. Yeah. And so that was like, you know, he was, he wore the mask. It was like a threefold witness. I was facing a threefold witness. One God, but three persons. And I can't explain it other. <laughs> so difficult. And the Holy Spirit was him, part of him coming out. And they were all, I couldn't see the Father. They were standing in front of the Father. And there, I was I was getting ready to be judged. And that's when it hit me. It was like, and what he showed me in a nutshell was, I was pitting God's character traits and his mercy and his goodness against each other. I lived my entire life that way without even knowing it. Wow. And so he was showing me, he loved me, he loved me, he loved me. And I was saying, well, thank you, Lord. Now I can go get drunk. Thank you, Lord. I can, I can keep uh -huh. driving. Thank you, Lord. I can still, you know, do the, I can still chase the gals. I can still do this. You know, I can still. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I was doing. I was just misusing his love and what he gave me. He gave great parents, and I stole money from them. I did all kinds of things. I had a drug habit, all that stuff. I sold drugs, everything, a whole whole nine yards involved. Lived with some bikers. I was working to get my um, colors, but after what is involved in all that, you know, I took the geographic cure and <laughs> moved to Tucson. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff just showed me, you know, Laura showed me, you, you, you mishandle my love. And then it dawned on me, when you're dead, you die in the state that you die in. There was no hope. Wow. And the next thing I knew, he explained to me what was going to happen. And that's, he let me see hell. And then uh, I, yeah, by his grace alone that I'm even here today. So I owe him my life. You know, I, I can't turn back. I really can't. So, but I was facing that threefold judgment and the hood was protecting me from that final judgment i would call it just this. did you get to see what the hood looked like yeah it was uh jesus was uh, the light coming out of jesus it was white and uh he had a, a sash around him and i think it was gold i think i have to write it in my book i have to look now but you know and it was brilliant light but his his he had a hood on and i could tell he could see me it was covering his eyes i could see his beard and look like you know places were plucked out i could see blood it was like what he was showing me. I could see the holes in his wrist. It was wow. like I pulled his beard. I crucified him by Jeez. denying, by pitting his nature against himself in order to get what I want. It was what I was doing, exactly what the demons do. Exactly what, you know, it was so strong to me. And I felt like if I ever could ever get out of there, this is what I tell people. So I have been. <laughs> wow. So when, when, he, uh, when, you, when he showed you the times where he was there and he saved you, did you actually see what it looked like? Did you actually see the beings there stop it? Or did he just give you the understanding of... He gave me both things. Well, one, I could see uh, 
what looked like big beings standing around the car as the car was moving in the air. Wow. And others, I, I just knew that they were there. Okay. It's like, this will, Michael Heiser might, you know, get a kick out of this, but um, also understood that they got their commands from the divine, I call it the heavenly council, and they were sent for a task for that purpose. <laughs> and wow. Then, <laughs> then they went back and he showed me these things. It's an instance. It's all in an instant. It's crazy to think that there was a, a courtroom setting and a meeting where they said, go down and save Brian Melvin from crashing that car. Well, same my sister sends all those people wow. in the car, everything like that. So to wrap it up here, what is the most important thing that, out of everything you've seen, everything you've understood and has been revealed to you, what sticks out the most? What's the, what's the, 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 what's the most important thing that you've seen out of everything you've seen? Everything I see is just uh, a relationship with knowing Jesus. That's the most important thing. Get to know him and uh, understand who he is. To know him basically is the most important thing, is to get to know Jesus. And also understanding his love, which is quite contrary to what, what most people teach. And uh, they try, and it's no fault for anybody. I don't fault anybody for it. There's no, no other way to people can actually wrap their head around it other than to try to correlate it to human love. You can't. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And so I, tr I tried to share another thing I, I got out of it was how he led me to investigate the word agape or agapeo, love, in the Greek. So I studied Greek and Hebrew for many years, still do. And I said, well, you know, the, the simplistic definition is unconditional love. That actually makes no sense. What does it mean? And so was, and that doesn't, you know, what I felt, what I experienced, what does it mean? And I had to really get to know the Lord and, get, you know, just back and forth training that he, I call it by prayer and just spending time and so he led me to search out the the etymology of the word and all how it come about and then I read in I think it was Vine's expository dictionary on the word charity used in 1st Corinthians 13 out of the King James and so they uh, translated from the Latin and and so Latin translated agape agapeo as caritas or, or charis you know and and I go, oh, charity. It's not charity like giving to the poor, but it's being, it's ch it mean, actually means cherishing, nurturing, raising up, edifying, disciplining, correct you to get you on the right track. You know, it's, it's, it's all that. So it's an unconditional love that cherishes and nurtures you and trains you up and gets you on the right track and gives you free moral will to boot. <laughs> because God, wow. God is just. And so it's all wrapped up in that. And that's, that's God's love in simplistic terms. And that's an, one of the most important things I learned. So I don't ever take advantage of it again. <laughs> because when that's one thing that stuck with me, because I did in my pagan life, that's what I did. I took advantage of his love. I never to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great, man. That's That sounds just like a true father. That's what I kept thinking when you're saying that, you know, raising up, disciplining, unconditionally loving giving a choice that sounds like a true father yeah and that's what he calls our father in heaven he's not our judge in heaven he's wow you know, as a christian <laughs> you know some people i deal with them i try to counsel them you know they oh god's out to smite me with a baseball bat i did something wrong today i had a bad thought uh i'm gonna do penance i'm gonna throw rice on the floor and kneel <laughs> on it for five hours <laughs> that'll fix it <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'll feed, I'll feed the pigeons today. That'll, that'll, that'll be my penance <laughs> or something. <laughs> Man. 
So where can people see you? Are, are you speaking anywhere anytime soon? or? Uh, yeah, I will be speaking at the Cheyenne River Reservation at the uh, Cheyenne uh, River Motel up there uh, on Friday and Saturday. And then on Sunday, we're at the Landmark there in Eagle Butte, Eagle Butte, South Dakota. is where I'll be this next weekend. Okay. I don't have anything scheduled that far out yet right now, you know, so I'm just seeing if my schedule will get filled up with any any invites anywhere. So right now, that's what I have on my agenda. I usually, I usually go to the First Nations peoples where I minister the most right now because that's where the God sent me. And, you oh. know, you get, you get a dose of education working with the folks up there because they're not afraid of talking about spirits. They have to deal with this stuff, you know, so... I bet that's refreshing from, uh, you know, a lot of the people we deal with in our day-to-day life. They don't believe in anything. No, they don't. And yet, you know, I talked to a couple people. It's like, geez, they got so many critters. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And so, obviously, your channel's on Daily Renegade? Yeah, I'm on channel, um, usually Monday nights. And so, this last night, last time, they they started a little later than normal, but we'll see, you know, I think it's at 7 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, if I'm correct on that. That's when they start. So, it'll be 8 p.m. Central and whatever's 5 uh, Eastern. Okay. And I know you do a lot of live streams and stuff, and, and you have your Afterlife uh, Facebook group. Yeah, I... I I had that. I started the, that group called it Afterlife because people asked me about the book. And my main Facebook page when I started was just for my family. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I kept getting all these people in there asking me questions. I go, my family's going to think I'm really strange. Well, they already do. <laughs> they knew that I, they, they saw me growing up. So what can I say? But um, So now I just said, okay, I'll turn my Facebook page into a Christian group. So I warned the family. So I got... So I still take select people. I kind of try to screen them the best I can mm-hmm. and invite them in. And sometimes some bad ones slip, slip through and I have to delete them. One guy, he said he was a Christian. So I looked through his Facebook page and I had his friends, you know, Arabic lines, AK-47s, uh, wow. uh, rocket launchers. And I'm going, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And ISIS flags? No, I don't think so. I can't read Arabic. I'm not going to hit the translation button to find out. I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. All righty. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the interview. It was a pleasure to do. And hopefully, if you enjoyed this, leave in the comments. And maybe I could do some more interviews with different people. Now, for our paid content, we're going to get into the stuff that Brian and I talked about after the interview. Some really interesting things. And... Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Stay rad.